Well, it is good to be back in person with you. I missed being here and uh, missed getting to, uh, to do church and do worship together. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, starting a new series today. Uh, we are in the month of February, uh, going to be doing a series titled Lessons from the Worst Dating Advice in the Bible. Um, so we're going to talk about relationships, talk a little bit about some peculiar scripture passages, but relationships have, have uh, always been a part of life and faith. And, and so we've got some interesting texts uh, and some interesting examples to walk through. And before our, I read our text for this morning from Hosea, I want to just kind of give a background of what we're going to be reading into. Uh, the prophet Hosea, you maybe haven't spent a lot of time in that book. It's one of the minor prophets. Uh, and so one of those texts right at the end of the Old Testament before you get into the New Testament. What's interesting about Hosea is it's the only prophetic book written by a northern kingdom prophet. So if you remember the biblical story, uh, the southern kingdom of Judah and the northern kingdom of Israel split. The northern kingdom of Israel was much larger, much, much more powerful, had more money, but it also was destroyed by the Assyrians uh, much earlier than Judah fell to Babylon. So most of our books are written from Judah's perspective uh, and usually not very uh, generous towards the northern kingdom of Israel. And so we've, we've got one other prophet that is writing to the northern kingdom of Israel, Amos, but it's written by a southern uh, kingdom prophet. So this is an interesting text because it's a northern kingdom prophet talking to Israel, and we know that there's a little bit of, of gloom on the horizon because we know in the story of Israel that it's going to fall to the Assyrians. Uh, so there's this call for, for judgment, call for hope of what might happen after judgment. Uh, and so that's what's going on. Uh, but I want to warn you before we read today's text, because the prophets were, were not only told to say something about how God sees the world and how things will be and how things might become, um, but they often had signs. They acted things out in the world. They made, they made known God's ways visibly. And Hosea does this in a very peculiar way in our story. I want to give you a warning that um, I feel like sometimes uh, church kind of feels like, uh, you know, like almost like a Disney-fied version of, of conversation. Like, let's keep things safe. Uh, and some of the language in this text might startle you. Um, and so I kind of joke that this would be a text that if you were asked to read scripture for the day, you would be like, wait, why on earth did the pastor make me read this text out loud? Uh, and you'll know why in a moment. Hosea 1, verse 2 through 9. When the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea, go take yourself a wife of whoredom and have children of whoredom. For the land commits great whoredom by forsaking the Lord. So he went and took Gomer, daughter of Dibliam, and she conceived and bore him a son. And the Lord said to him, Name him Jezreel, for in a little while I will punish the house of Jehu for the blood of Jezreel, and I will put an end to the kingdom of the house of Israel. On that day I will break the bow of Israel in the valley of Jezreel. And Gomer conceived again and bore a daughter. And the Lord said to him, Name her Lo Ruhamah, for I will no longer have pity on the house of Israel or forgive them, but I will have pity on the house of Judah and I will save them by the Lord their God. I will not save them by bow or by sword or by war or by horses or by horsemen. When she had weaned, again, Lo Ruhamah, she conceived another son. And the Lord said, Name him Lo Ami, 
for you are not my people, and I am not your God. The word of the Lord. A very peculiar text. Uh, This is a little strange, and I think the strangeness of this text, we can kind of all say it out loud through one quick verse, the very first verse of this passage. Uh, The Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea. It's already a little bit peculiar because it says when the Lord first spoke through Hosea, the Lord said to Hosea. So there's kind of two different actions at work here that God's speaking through the prophet, but God's speaking to the prophet. And here's the message that Hosea hears. Take yourself a unusual kind of wife. Uh, Different translations have different language for this. Um, We have things like uh, uh, prostitute, promiscuous woman, woman inclined to infidelity. Uh, The Septuagint, the Greek version of this, says a woman of porneia, which gets you the sense of fornication, of some sort of unsolicited or uh, uncharacterized, like you shouldn't be having this type of sexual activity. And already this is just a weird text. Like, I just want you to imagine going to your parents when you were younger and saying, hey, mom, hey, dad, God's telling me I'm supposed to marry this scandalous person. Like, that, that's, that's going to be an interesting conversation. Uh, God has told me I'm supposed to marry a prostitute. That, that's an that's unusual line of family discussion. I wonder how that went. I wonder what people's conversations behind Hosea's back were. Um, But that's how our story begins. And the the consequences of this are named up front, that the children are children of scandalous relationships. Maybe you're not sure whose kids these kids are, but go marry this, this promiscuous woman, have children of promiscuity, But why do this? For the land commits great infidelity, great unfaithfulness by forsaking the Lord. So we see from the very get-go, this is going to be a weird relationship, and the weird relationship is supposed to be some sort of metaphor about Israel, that Israel has been unfaithful, and God wants to say something to Israel. And so the prophet's life is supposed to be somewhat living out the story of Israel, that God takes Israel as God's kind of covenant people, as his wife, his bride, and yet Israel's going to be unfaithful. And what do we do with this story? And so Hosea says that he hears this message. That's what he says he hears from God. And it says, he went and took Gomer, daughter of Diblaim, and she conceived and bore him a son. Uh, I, I feel like you might feel offended if someone, told, someone said, God told me I'm supposed to marry some a promiscuous woman, and and therefore I picked you. Um, That doesn't sound like a great start to a relationship. I mean, is Hosea telling her this up front? Hey, God, God said I'm supposed to marry a scandalous woman, and you feel like you'd fit the bill? Uh, I don't know what his pickup line was. This relationship is very strange. It's a very weird story. And so, What happens in the story is he has three kids. They each have their own name that gets kind of this unusual meaning. The oldest son, Jezreel. uh, And it's because in Jezreel, God's going to punish Israel. 
And Jezreel is kind of an interesting place. It's tied to the story of Ahab and Jezebel. Uh, There's a story where King Ahab in the northern kingdom, he decides he really wants this piece of land. And Naboth has a vineyard, and he's like, I want that place. But Naboth doesn't want to sell him that place. And Jezreel decides, hey, you're the king. You can just take this land. And she meets her untimely death in a very kind of graphic way in the story. So it's a place of, of, of kind of lust, of envy, of greed, and a place of judgment. And so they named their first kid Jezreel uh, because of God's punishment. They next have a daughter, Lo Ruhamah, uh, which you can basically just shorthand that for no pity. God's not going to have any pity over the people. And you're like, well, that doesn't sound like a very hopeful, happy message. Uh, all right, what's your name? I think about, okay, out of all the names, no pity. They have a third child, Loami. And now instead of no pity, it's no people. You're not my people. And again, I, I think that people probably aren't too keen on Hosea's message at that point of of God has got judgment coming for you've sinned, you've, you've envied after some, somebody else, you've envied after other gods, you've envied after other things. Uh, and so God says, hey, no more pity. Hey, no more my people. Uh, judgment's coming. And we can understand the theological message of this. But again, if you go back to the family dynamics of what on earth is this family like where you're naming your kids these names that have these kind of difficult meanings attached. And so I think it's worth us kind of sitting with these, this family and the story. We don't have time to read through the whole book. Really, the family dynamics are just the first three chapters. But the second chapter of Hosea goes into this poetic, uh, difficult family drama in which Hosea is telling his oldest son, go talk to your mom She's not my wife anymore. And so he's kind of divorcing from afar. He's saying, hey, I'm not her husband. She's not my wife. And he's making the kid go tell the story because he has nothing that he wants to do with Gomer anymore. And it talks quite harshly and starkly about his anger, his, his, his desire for her to kind of feel the judgment, the pain of what's happened. And then in chapter three, we get some cryptic story about God talking to Hosea again and saying, hey, go marry someone who's already been adulterous with someone. And so he goes and he like buys out the other husband and, and he takes a new wife. But it's, it's again a little bit peculiar. It's a little bit strange of a text. And I think it causes us to ask us some questions about what do we do with the family dynamics and the family situation and where's God in the midst of this story? Because on the one hand, it's pretty easy to say, okay, I can get a theological metaphor. I can understand the imagery about Israel's unfaithfulness. I get that. But what on earth does this family have to do with it? Why, why does this family have to get drawn into this mess? And so I want to suggest some possible things that we can deal with here. There's, there's at least four different major kind of ways that we can read this text. The first one is, if you say, I just want to read it as it is, I'm just going to sit with the fact that God is telling Hosea, I want you to enter into a marriage that's going to be painful and harmful and is going to end in destruction and is going to be just pretty awful. Because I really want to make a point, and I want people to hear it. 
and I have to talk loud enough for somebody to hear this. That is a possible reading. It's also pretty hard. That's a pretty cold take. Uh, it's hard to see where, where the love for, for Hosea or for Gomer or for those kids are in that story, but, but that's one way of reading this text. A second way of reading this text is to say, I know it sounds like a historical story, but really, let's just read the whole book as a parable. So it didn't have to act like it's historical. Let's just read it as like Jesus talking about a hypothetical person. So it's a hypothetical family. That'll make me feel a little bit better that somebody, that God's not like inviting and like commanding people to go into the midst of this painful relationship. Uh, it might help a little bit as an answer, right? I mean, it takes away some of the pain of the real family drama. Um, but what's hard is it still like makes a poetic angle on like a domestic horror story. I mean, this is, this is a painful family dynamic. I mean, if any of you have experienced broken uh, relationships, whether it's your relationship or it's somebody you care about's relationship, uh, the amount of pain involved is, is hard to wish on anybody, even your worst enemy. And so what is it to have such a broken situation uh, and pain and anger and, and what is God doing in that space? So if you're not inclined to feel good about option one or two, maybe option three or four might speak to you a little bit better this morning. If you want to take a, let's say, hypercritical reading of Hosea, this might be some of the best excuses you could give as a prophet. Because you could imagine being a prophet where people are listening to you to hear what God will do. That you're supposed to say something about the future, about what God's going to do in the future. And yet, people might ask you, why should I believe you? You didn't even know how your own family was going to, to go into the future. Like, you didn't even realize that your family was going to fall apart. Like, why would I trust the word of you? You, you can't see in the future. And probably it's like the same thing that you might levy at uh, whatever fortune teller or whatever person that's saying that they can know the future and you're like, yeah, but your life sure didn't turn out the way that you probably expected it to. Why, why should I listen to you? And there's a lot of ways in which, both in the Old and the New Testament, people get hyper-critical uh, of people based on their families. That the way your children behave, the way your spouse behaves, somehow that that's just on you. That if your family falls apart, somehow it's well, maybe they're not fit for ministry. Maybe they're not really fit to be a king or fit to be prophet or fit to be a teacher. Uh, and there's plenty of examples in the Bible of, you know, prophets like, uh, like uh, Samuel, you know, his situation, he emerges because uh, his mentor's family is falling apart. The, his mentor's sons are not good prophets and, and it causes all sorts of drama. Um, but maybe if you think about texts like 1 Timothy, I might just read that for us today. First Timothy chapter three. There's teaching about what is a good elder. There's also teaching about what's a good deacon. And in those texts, it mentions a lot about family. And so Paul to Timothy says, the saying is, is sure, whoever aspires to the office of bishops desires a noble task. Now a bishop must be above reproach, married only once, temperate, sensible, respectable, 
hospitable, an apt teacher, not a drunkard, not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome, not a lover of money. He must manage his own household well, keeping his children submissive and respectful in every way. For if someone does not know how to manage his own household, how can he take care of God's church? In a world that's used to levying this charge of, of how could you speak for God? You know, your, your family is crumbling and it's falling apart. How do you speak for God? That maybe there's something in Hosea that says, hey, I trust, I know God called me into this situation. And you know what? God told me to marry this person, even though they were going to do this. From the outset, I was called into this. And so why is this detract from my ministry? God told me to do it. So I did it. That might be the case, but it's also not necessarily super edifying or fulfilling to us. But I would add one last possibility. Something about this text to me seems like a retroactive telling of the story. You know, if Jose were to tell the story before he gets married, would he tell the story the same way? If this was Hosea prior to marrying Gomer, would he say, God has told me to marry this uh, promiscuous woman? Or is this the story of how Hosea is trying to reinterpret what's happened in his life, re-examine it, of, I felt like God was telling me to marry this person. I felt like I was supposed to go into this relationship, and yet it fell apart. What on earth do I do with this? What on earth do I say about this? And so this, this declaration about who he's supposed to marry, maybe it's not God saying it at the time, but maybe it's how Hosea is trying to come to terms with it in the aftermath of, I wasn't unfaithful. I, I was doing what I thought God called me to, but look what, what happened. No matter what, this story, though, is just still filled with the pain of dealing with what is broken. And so in the midst of the brokenness, what are some things this text might tell us? Some things that it might say about relationships? One thing is, is that we should be thoughtful about entering into relationships because they are filled with such closeness of proximity, such intimacy, such a, a desire, such love, that they do hurt. They are painful when they break and they fall apart. And so we should be serious about that, that fact that we should be thoughtful when we commit into relationships because it's, it's painful when they, when they go away. And something about the, about relationships are that they are fragile, uh, that they are, are powerful. And something that Jose is trying to say is that, that God is vulnerable enough to enter into relationship with us knowing that we might reject God, we might follow after other gods, we might say no, we might do the wrong thing. And yet God continually chooses to enter into that relationship even though we keep breaking it. Um, but what is it for us to be thoughtful about? Is this relationship something I can maintain, or do I not trust it? Maybe it's not something to jump into. Another thing that this text tells us is that it invites us to respond to how do we react to painful family situations. Uh, we don't have to take the typical path where when you're harmed, you harm back. 
Like, how does this text invite us to try to create other ways of responding to pain? Because Hosea is not a great example in that second chapter. He's going to say a lot of awful things. Uh, trust me, go read it. Doesn't read like a, a great split, a great breakup. There's a lot of pain in his voice. And it's okay that sometimes you have to go different directions, but it doesn't mean you have to lash out and hurt and harm more on the way out the door uh, because all it does is create more pain, more cycles of hurt. And so revenge doesn't actually heal. And so what is it to, to go your separate ways without causing more harm? Some of the most sad ways that this happens uh, when people do cause more harm is using your family as tools, as weapons in the midst of arguments, in the midst of fights. That's the thing I think is one of the things that hits me the hardest with Hosea chapter 2. The fact that he makes the son go say all these things to the mom. And there is that temptation, especially um, with families when, you, when you've got a divorce and you've got kids and you're trying to figure out how do I raise this child? How do I keep my own relationship drama out of my kid's situation. And Hosea definitely draws his family and his kids in to the pain of this. I was thinking about on the news, just another example of this. Um, I don't know how much you care about celebrity drama and entertainment, but uh, uh, Kim and Kanye are in the news quite a bit for a lot of years. Um, but they've recently split and they're going through a divorce. And recently, Kanye was posting on, I don't know if it's Instagram or which social media platform, uh, his criticism of, of Kim's handling of their kid in social media. He, didn't like, he doesn't like that she's posting videos with their child, but that's her option to do as a parent. And, and maybe even parents in, in the midst of just regular kind of married life, maybe you have differences about how your kids should be on social media. Uh, but he was taking to the online realm to post his frustration. It's like, hey, I don't know how to deal with divorces. I don't know, but like, what's up with her doing that? And all it is is public fights, public arguments, bringing other people into the midst of your, your conflict. And we think about how often this happens, that we get wrapped into the fight, wrapped into other people's pain. And so I, what is this as a cautionary tale? Maybe not to take the route of Hosea of invoking his kids into this fight, into this argument. Uh, and so what does Hosea need to learn about patience? Because even though like Hosea is somewhat telling what God's perspective is in the story, Hosea is also learning God's perspective. And what is it that God holds back God's anger? God holds back violence and pain. And what is it for us to learn patience? I think the, the struggle of Hosea is to get to a place like God, where we get to a place where we want restoration, we want healing, we want opportunity for life. And even if, like in our human situations, where it's like, for us to be healthy, we have to be apart. Like, what is it to actually want the other person to heal, the other person to have life, the other person to have the opportunity to repent, to go to God, to find new life? What is it to not to want despair and, and judgment and destruction on the person who might have hurt you, the person who might have broken your heart? 
And you might wonder, if like, hey, God, why do you keep forgiving your people? Why do you keep letting Israel return back to you? Isn't it painful? Haven't they hurt you? Why, why be this forgiving? And so this text invites us to think about how can we get to a place where in the midst of brokenness, in the midst of pain, that we want healing for everybody involved, even when it means we have to go separate directions, we got to find different opportunities to, to plant and to grow. But what is it to want healing for everybody, even when you've been hurt? And so I want to encourage each of us to, to spend time discerning what God is, is saying in your life. Because I think that part of that question for this text is, does Hosea rightfully hear God? Is he always accurate in hearing God? Is, did God actually say, take this, this woman that, that's going to commit adultery and is going to leave you? Um, did he not say that? Uh, what do we do with that? And I know it's, it's not necessarily as like puffy, like feel-goody, but life isn't always super feel-goody. And so for those of us who know what the pain of, of relationships not going as we expect them to, maybe this is a text that you can just kind of wrestle with, of like, what on earth do I do with a story like this? Because it's true for our own lives. When we have relationships that fall apart from us, when someone leaves us, abandons us, when someone uh, emotionally or, or relationally leaves and abandons us, when we leave and abandon somebody else, what do we do with that pain? What do we do with that situation? Can we find any sort of truth of who God is in the midst of that painful situation? Or is it just cold and empty? So what does it define God in the midst of the pain? Because I do think we all have to figure out where God is in the midst of the pain of our lives. Uh, you might wonder, is God the one causing the pain? Is God the one absorbing the pain with you? Is God alongside of you? Is God distant? Where is God in the story of your life? And so if you're in the midst of some difficult relationships, God, where are you here? And I think the, the beauty of this text is in the ultimate place that it goes. Hosea starts in all of these difficult family situations, but the text goes into the challenges of judgment and, and pain, but then it goes to a place of hope that God still chooses Israel even when Israel chooses not to follow God faithfully. And so what is it for us to sit and to reflect on where we are in the story? How often are we the person that feels like uh, we've, we've been used in the, to harm somebody else? We've been used to triangulate fights. Someone keeps bringing us into the drama. Where's God for me? How's God my refuge? How does God teach me to love? How does God teach me to speak truth in the midst of pain? If you've been pushed aside, you've been abandoned, you've been left, what is it to know that, that your God also knows what that pain feels like? That God understands what it feels like to be forsaken? If you felt really strongly, I know exactly what God wants for my life and yet things didn't work out at all, Know that Hosea might know exactly how you feel of like, I thought I was doing what God wanted me to do and then this doesn't make any sense. Maybe you feel like God's giving you 
uh, command uh, that you just, I have absolutely no idea what to do with this. Uh, it, it can be difficult. And so on this journey of what do we do with real relationships that aren't simple, that aren't easy, uh, I invite you to go deeper into Scripture, go deeper into prayer, uh, that sometimes all the easy answers we give aren't always super easy. There's sometimes more complexity there. And so I invite you to go into this journey of, of discerning of like, God, where are you in the midst of, of the broken? And so today I, I ask you to think about uh, what repentance we need to have. Where do I need to, to love better? Where do I need to love more faithfully? Whether God or, or people in my life. Think about where do I need to just learn and, and sit with with God in the midst of the pain, that maybe I need to see where God's at in the midst of my trouble. One of the things I want to invite you to think about also is what we choose to do with that story. I, everybody knows I, I love movies, right? You know, um, Movie based on church world drama. Uh, Andrew Garfield and Jessica Chastain were in the story, The Eyes of Tammy Faye about Jim Baker and Tammy Faye and their drama. Uh, but in that story, it, it hints at Tammy Faye having kind of at least emotionally kind of somewhat cheated on her husband, who we later in the story find out that he's been cheating on her in all sorts of ways. But his response is to force her to apologize on TV in a part of telethon of fundraising for their ministry. There's a lot of ways in which people even invoke God to cause harm and family dynamics and situations. And I want you to know that we shouldn't take uh, that kind of route of God. Um, God is there with you in the brokenness and the pain. Uh, God is not the one wanting to cause you more pain. And so I, I hope that you might find where God is in the midst of the pain of your story you might find where God can be in the midst of the healing in your story, and that God doesn't just want to lash out, but God is patient, his love endures, no matter even when we're the one to blame in the story. So let's just pray and, and sit with this with God. Lord, I know that your presence is with all who are worshiping here today. And I don't know each, we don't know each relationship of the people that are, that are next to us, relationship with uh, parents and children, with siblings, with, with spouses, with friends, with coworkers. Lord, we have all sorts of relationships. Lord, we ask that you might help mold us to have healthy forms of dispute. When we disagree that, that it's not cause for creating harm and pain, but a chance to discern and to find your wisdom. Lord, I ask that you would help us to reflect on where we feel certain. That sometimes we feel that you're telling us to do something, Lord, and, and maybe we wrongfully assume how you want us to apply it to our lives. Lord, help us to find wisdom in you and wisdom in community. Lord, I ask that you would help 
all who feel the pain of, of broken relationships to feel the embrace of your love, that every place where people have been made to feel small, where they've been made to feel alone, where they've made to feel less than, that we might still be able to find comfort in you even when those around us let us down. Lord, for all who feel like there's you know, the judgment day ahead, that there's this time of pain that they can't seem to avoid. It's like a train going down the tracks that we, we can't avoid this destruction. Lord, I ask for hope and for comfort that, that we are not alone, even when it seems bleak. Lord, we ask your, your perseverance might be in us. We might endure. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.